are listening to audio from Faith Church, located on the north side of Indianapolis. If you'd like to check out more information about our church and ministry, please visit faithchurchindy.com. I invite you to stand for the reading of Scripture from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for it is so written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it arose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he'd been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, a voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. This is the word of the Lord. And you may be seated. So I thought I was the house renovation king from the work that I had done on the first house that we purchased in St. Louis. I rented a bobcat and regraded the backyard because it was sloped too steeply. I pulled out a half a dozen bushes and replanted them on the side of the house. We tore out the front bed and redid all that. I built my wife a new kitchen. I was the house renovation king until my wife, Amelia, dethroned me because I promised her a new bathroom as well. And uh, two years into a one-week-long project... She was getting a little impatient. Where is the new bathroom you promised me? I'm tired of waiting for my new throne. 
Maybe some of you can relate. Any of you have unfinished projects around the house? Maybe some of you right now. Any of you have projects that lasted longer than your intentions? I have a lot of those. And when Amelia would remind me, you know, every three or four months, uh, how's that project going? When are you going to get to that? I was not always as compassionate as I could be, right? Like, there's another bathroom right there. Just use that one. It's not like you have to go to the neighbors or anything. (laughs) She wanted to know that her husband was going to be faithful to do what he had promised to do. And I wasn't being very faithful in spite of all the other stuff that I had already done. I was not trustworthy on this thing. And yeah, finally I got the project finished, but I hadn't been very selfless along the way, right? Because it was easy to get distracted. I I could look back at all the other stuff I had done and, and I wasn't thinking about her and what this meant to her. I was really thinking about me. I like to think of myself as the home renovation king, but I really was not a very good king at all. In fact, that's kind of all of our problem. None of us make very good kings, even though that's what we're called to be. We were, in fact, made to be kings, to be queens, to rule over a little part of creation that God has placed us in, to exercise authority, to do what God would have us do in that place, to reflect what he is like, to to demonstrate his character. But we generally fail to live up to our intentions. We struggle even to live up to our promises. We get impatient when things take longer than we want. We get resentful when people point out that things are taking longer than they should. We end up using our authority to serve ourselves instead of loving and serving others. We use our freedom and power in the wrong ways. I think that's what Matthew is getting at in this long section in chapter 2. It's not just that we need to do a better job. I need a better king. I don't make a very good king, and I need a better one over my life. Again, this is the whole origin story for us as humans all the way back in the beginning of the Bible. We are made in God's image to exercise dominion, to rule over the part of the earth where he has us under his ultimate authority. But then our first parents, and we followed in their pattern, decided we don't want to do things God's way. We don't want him to be the king over us. We'll just rule on our own. Thank you. And everything has gone sideways and been messed up ever since. We're still made in God's image. We still have power, but we use it in the wrong ways. And I need a king who will lead me in good ways. I need a better king than me. For Lent this year, we are going through the early chapters of Matthew's gospel, and we're seeing the good news of Jesus' faithfulness in the face of our failures. How Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that God promised, and in fact, everything God created us to be, but that we fail to be. So if you haven't already, go ahead and open your Bibles, pull one out from the seat in front of you, underneath if you want, it's on page 960, or uh, open up your phone, your mobile device, whatever you use to access God's Word, turn to Matthew chapter 2, and we're going to start in these first six verses, looking at three ways that Jesus is the King that we actually need. 
Jesus was born in Bethlehem in the days of Herod, and wise men from the east come, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Now, just an interesting note, he's not born to become king of the Jews. He is already king. He is the king from the time he's born. We saw his star when it rose. We've come to worship him, the right response to Jesus. When Herod heard this, he was troubled, all Jerusalem with him. He brings together the chief priests and the scribes and asks them, Where's the Christ going to be born? Interesting that the king doesn't know that. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, because this is what's written by the prophet, you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the clans of Israel. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. You know, as Christians, we're used to hearing that the Messiah is going to come from Bethlehem, right? We hear it almost every year around Christmas at the Nativity. But why would he be born there and not in the palace at Jerusalem? I mean, that's where kings would be born, right? It, it somehow assumes that something has happened to David's family. Something has gone wrong. They're not in Jerusalem. He's king to sit on his throne is going to be born in some backwater. Well, Every time that we run across these echoes, these references that Matthew brings out, it's good for us to go back and remind ourselves of what the prophet is talking about, what Matthew is referencing. Here's what Micah says. Bethlehem, you are small among the clans of Judah, but one will come from you who will be ruler over Israel. His origin is from antiquity, from ancient times. He's the eternal one. He will shepherd my people in the strength of the Lord, in the majestic name of the Lord. They will live securely, and his greatness will go to the ends of the earth. But it's not going to happen from Jerusalem. Matthew's pointing out that the king is going to come from an insignificant village, and nobody is looking for a king or greatness or power to come from Bethlehem. The king that I need, that you and I need, has all glory, has all authority, but he goes to the lowest and the humblest place. He goes to Nowheresville, and he uses that position to shepherd others, to to take the strength of the Lord that he's been given to serve, to defend, to protect, to guide, to lead in good ways for the sake of others. The king, after God's heart, is going to be selfless. Because that's what you and I need. I need a selfless king. Now, Herod can't understand why a king wouldn't be born in the palace in Jerusalem, because that's what it means to be king, right? Just like us, we value power and recognition and success and being noticed and being the center of attention. We'd like things to work out so that life is easier for us and so that things go well. And as soon as we get a little authority and freedom, we want to use it to advance our own causes, to rule over our kingdoms in a way that will put us forward and make things better for us. And Matthew's pointing out that too much of the time I rule for my own sake. You know, any of you who had younger brothers and sisters, right? Like maybe you resented a little bit having to be in charge of them, but, you know, there was that benefit of getting to boss them around, right? Like mom and dad told you, you have to obey me. 
And of course, I was one of the younger siblings who hated and resented that and said, I'm not going to listen to you. I don't have to do what you say. I'm going to go tell mom. You know, as soon as we find out we're going anywhere, I want to be the first one out the door to yell shotgun so that I get the front seat. I don't have to sit in the back. Right? Sometimes my parenting is more about my convenience or my being recognized as a good parent because of the way my kids are behaving or about using my authority more than loving and understanding my kids. Too often our work is just about getting recognition and rewards. You know, I think one of the best spiritual disciplines that can help us is changing diapers. Seriously. I mean, think about it. Yeah, I got it. that's a good laugh. Yes, exactly. It's smelly. It's unpleasant. But it's incredibly important, right? You're doing something good for someone else who doesn't really understand what you're doing for them, doesn't appreciate you, and is almost certainly never going to thank you for the job that you're doing, right? You're, you know, if you're working down in the nursery downstairs, you're serving kids, you're serving young families, and, and you're investing your time and your freedom to do that. You don't get invited to write books or speak at conferences based on how well you change diapers, And there's probably something healthy in that for us. I think God loves it when successful, educated, accomplished people wipe down tables and put away chairs after a church function. When those people use their time and their energy to to make funeral meals for people, to to take dinners over to people who are are struggling with some loss or crisis, who who will take the time to teach English or how to manage finances to uh, someone who's an immigrant to this country. When we serve and when we advocate for the poor and the vulnerable, for for refugees, we're going to see later, Jesus is actually a refugee if you think about it. When when we advocate for people in need, like moms in crisis pregnancies or, or people living in poverty. See, do, do you see what Jesus is doing here? God does not despise humble people and small places and small things. He comes to humble people to love them, to serve them for their good, to lead them. Jesus is the selfless king who grows us in selflessness. But he's more than that. Matthew goes on. We skip down to verse 13. Uh, the Magi come, and they, they present the gifts to the child, and they're warned to go back another way but because of Herod. And when they departed, an angel of the Lord appears to Joseph and says, Take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and stay there until I tell you, because Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. So he rose, and he took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. Egypt, of all places. I mean, biblically, that's not the place God's people are supposed to be. And he remained there until the death of Herod, and this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Now, what is going on here? Again, let's take a step back and take Matthew's invitation to go back and and remind ourselves, what is Hosea getting at here? This, This is who he's quoting. In the Old Testament, Yahweh often calls Israel his son. He, he speaks of his people as his son, as his beloved child. And when his children are suffering in slavery in the land of oppression, they cry out to God and he raises up Moses to be a deliverer, to, 
to bring them out. And, and when we hear this quote from Hosea, Matthew wants us to remember the, the context. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. But even as Israel was leaving them, they called out to the Egyptians, and they kept sacrificing to the Baals and offering to idols. I led them with cords of human kindness. I was like one who took the yoke out of their mouth. I bent down and fed them. But they refused to repent. Matthew sees in Jesus' own life story the, the recapitulation of what God is doing to redeem his people. See, Jesus is the faithful redeemer. He's the greater. He's the second Moses who's going to lead his people out of bondage and, and into true freedom. So the Father raises up Jesus, the true Son of God, to save God's people from bondage to sin and death. But more than that, there's more going on here. Do you see? Jesus is the true Israel. Jesus is the true Son of God. You remember the story. God destroys Pharaoh's army. He leads his people through the sea. And not even a month passes. They're building a golden calf and offering sacrifices to it, saying, these are our gods who brought us out of Egypt. That's the pattern throughout the whole Old Testament. God's people wander away. They cry out. He rescues them. They follow for a while, and then eventually they turn back to serving gods that are not God. I need a faithful king. That's the second thing Matthew is getting at here. I need a faithful king king. Because you see, Herod and, and the chief priests are kind of the, the opposite. They're, they're, they're embodying the unfaithfulness of God's people. Herod's not leading people for their good. He's oppressing them. He's cruel. He's a tyrant. The, the chief priests are supposed to be shepherds over God's people, but they're not leading them. And they can't even be bothered to go to Bethlehem to see this thing. And their idolatry ends up forcing the true king to flee, but God brings his son out of Egypt into a greater exodus for God's people. Christ is the true son of God who keeps all his promises. Christ is the faithful king who obeys where I fail. How many of you had pets when you were kids? A good number. How many of you wanted to have a pet, but your parents wouldn't let you have a pet? Yeah, and why wouldn't they let us have pets? Because they figured we'd be irresponsible, right? Like, I can't clean up after myself. I, I don't remember to take a bath when I'm supposed to. How am I going to be responsible to care for another living being? Pets are cute. Pets are fun. Pets are work, right? And you can't decide that you're tired today and you're just not going to walk the dog, right? It, re it requires faithfulness. And, and sometimes our parents said no to the pet request because they knew that I was going to lose interest after a week and then it was going to be the goldfish floating upside down in the bowl because I, you know, I just forgot to feed him. But how many of you might also say, I don't, I don't care 
about what it means to take a dog for the walk when it's cold and rainy out. I, I don't mind cleaning out the litter box. I'm happy to change the cage because I love this creature. This, this pet, this being has brought joy and companionship into my life and I treasure this other being. I don't care what it costs. I love them. See, that's what God is saying to us in Jesus. I, I know you're a mess. I, I know you're, you can be a hassle. You're a problem. Uh, but I am faithful. I am the one who will never forget you or what you need. I am the Savior who never gets tired of you, who never finds something better to do. I am the King who is faithful to accomplish everything God has called me to do for my people. I won't wander off because something else grabs my attention. I am trustworthy. That's who Jesus is for you. He's the selfless king. He's the faithful king. And one more thing Matthew shows us about Jesus, starting in verse 16. Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem, that region, who were two years old or under according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping, loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Matthew's quoting Jeremiah, known as the weeping prophet, because God told him what was going to happen to his covenant people because of their unfaithfulness that Jeremiah was going to declare and then watch his people taken into captivity. Jerusalem's city walls broken down, the temple ransacked and burned. And in Jeremiah 31, he pictures Rachel figuratively as a mother of Israel wailing in lament as her children, her descendants are led off into captivity and they are no more. But in spite of the suffering, you see, Matthew wants us to understand that God is still pursuing his purposes and he sees and he knows and he cares. Again, go back to Take Matthew's invitation back in Jeremiah 31. What does God say? He comforts them with the assurance that there is hope, that he will see his people suffering, that he will save them. Thus says the Lord, keep your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears. They will come back from the land of the enemy. There's hope for your future. Ephraim, another Another poetic way of referring to God's people. Ephraim is my dear son, my darling child. And as often as I speak against him, I remember him. My heart yearns for him. I will have mercy on him, declares the Lord. Matthew says Jesus is fulfilling this promise as in, in what happens next in these verses in Chapter 19, when Herod died, an angel appears in a dream to Joseph and saying, take the child and his mother and go back to the land of Israel because those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and he took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. 
God's protection and care and notice goes all the way to the darkest places of our exile. There's no place that we can go where God does not see and care for us. His angel watches over his children and protects them and guides them home. And it was the guarantee, the fulfillment of the promise that God would have pity on his people and save them. That's what we need. I need a compassionate king. I need a compassionate king. I need a king who will be gentle with me in my brokenness. I need a king who will help me grow to be compassionate to other people in their messes. I need a king who can guide me and protect me and lead me through darkness and doubt and uncertainty. Uh, Lucy, our, our little Shih Tzu, our tiny little dog, is uh, almost 14 now. And uh, she was never very bright to begin with. Uh, that's kind of breed standard for Shih Tzus, just fair warning. And uh, as she's gotten older, she has not gotten any smarter. I think she's got about four or five neurons left that are still firing. And if you put your head up to her, you can kind of hear them like creaking like an old motor. And so we put her out at night like we have every night for 13 years to go to the bathroom. And she just turns and stares at us like, what am I doing here? Where am I? Who are you? And I have to say to Lucy, come on, go, go potty. You, you know what you're supposed to be doing. It takes everything in me not to get frustrated. And it's like, come on, haven't you gotten it yet? I told you, I need a better king than me. You know, in my better moments, I wonder how easy it would be for Jesus to think about me the way I tend to think about our little dog. Really, Jeff? After 55 years, you haven't gotten it yet? You know this. How many times have I told you? Come on. You still don't have your act together? <laughs> oh, thank the Lord that he is not like that. He is a compassionate patient, gracious king when I am dumb and difficult and doubtful. And then he helps me actually be more like that to our poor old dog because I've also realized she's losing her eyesight too as she's gotten older. I mean, she, she goes outside and she hesitates to come back in because she gets lost in our own yard. And, and so I've, you know, taken to calling her name and just reassuring her, Lucy, come on, it's okay, I'm here. And she's, you know, sort of zigzagging across the lawn that she used to be able to see her way through. I tap my foot on the floor now when I give her treats because we realize she can't even see treats right in front of her anymore. And, you know, so Amelia's preparing something and some food falls down and and she can't really, so you like, you tap your foot on the floor and say, Lucy, Lucy, come on, come on. It's sort of like she can echolocate like a bat. She'll like sort of find her way over to the food. And she's gotten scared of going downstairs now because she can't see how far down the step is. So I've taken to carrying her downstairs or walking her out the front door because she's getting blind. She needs compassion. You have a king who is compassionate and kind and gentle and patient with you in all of your flaws, in all of your messes. He knows them all. He knows it all. 
And he's not disgusted. He's not turned off. It doesn't make him angry. It doesn't make him disappointed. It doesn't make him roll his eyes and sigh with frustration. He pours out mercy and kindness on us, even in the messes that we have made for ourselves. So then we can be kind and compassionate to others in their flaws and failures and sins and needs. I am not the home improvement king. Amelia says amen. Maybe a prince and a pretender to the throne. But it's okay. I mean, I have a, all of us have kind of a kingship, which is wild to think about. But what I really need is a better king who can help me live that out in a better way. We don't make very good kings on our own. We need a better king. A king who doesn't get overwhelmed with all that he's got going on. A king who doesn't get distracted and run off to something else that's more interesting or engaging. A a, a king who is slow to anger and compassionate and patient with us. A king who doesn't get frustrated with us being difficult projects and give up and move on to something else. A, a, A king who doesn't have to be reminded of what he's supposed to be doing, even though he loves to hear from his kids. A king who is faithful to accomplish everything he has promised to do. Oh, that's a good king. That is a good king. A king who rules with gentleness, a king who binds up the broken, a king who rules over us for our good so that we can rule out of the good that we have received from him. Oh, follow that king. That's the king you need. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you have come to be what we so often fail to be. You you are the faithful king, the selfless king, the humble king, the compassionate king. Thank you, Jesus. Grow us in those ways. We pray in your name. Amen.